Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I am truly, I think the word this week for this episode is that I am honored uh, to have this guest on the show. I absolutely love her work, and it has come across at a time where it's really resonated with a lot of questions and thoughts and just my philosophies within the learning landscape of education as we try to figure out how do we keep kids engaged and push for deeper levels of thinking. And I'm speaking about the awesome Susie Weiss and her latest book, Design for Belonging. And if you haven't read it, uh, you need to. You need to go get it. Check the show links and go go buy it. But this is a really powerful conversation um, that I'm looking forward to because I think all of us, regardless of our role in education, is really trying to be more intentional around this idea of belonging. And what does that mean for us as adults, as well as our students and our families and community? So, um, I'm so excited to uh, be able to have this opportunity to speak with you. So, Susie, for those who don't know who you are, and they all will here quite soon, um, who are you? What do you do? What do you got going on? Um, you know, let the people know what you're rocking these days. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so I'm Susie Wise. I'm a designer and educator. Um, and as you shared, I wrote this new book called Design for Belonging, How to Build Collaboration and Inclusion in Your Communities. I think it's actually the subtitle is How to Build Inclusion and Collaboration in Your Communities. Um, subtitles, they get lost. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, um, in the education space, I was the founder of the K-12 lab at the D school. So I've worked for a long time to think about how design thinking mindsets and practices can be part of K-12 classrooms and also how the related work of liberatory design um, and those mindsets around design for belonging can be an important way that leaders, educators broadly, think about building really positive cultures in school. I love it. And so you've probably defined this word 18 million times already in your life, but I also know Part of education's problem is we like to all use words and we all like to kind of have our own working definition. Not that anyone is right, wrong, or indifferent, but it does sometimes create um, a bit of confusion at times. So just to lay the groundwork for when we talk about this idea of design for belonging, and obviously people should just read the book to figure that out, but in the context of how we're gonna talk about that today, how would you de define whether it's belonging or if you want to open it up to that co bigger concept of design for belonging? Because I know the word design also has different contexts for people as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll take on both design and belonging because I'm purposefully trying to bring them together. So when I think about design, I think of creative problem solving. And particularly, I like to practice a very human-centered kind of creative problem solving where you're working very closely with people closest to whatever situation you're in where you're trying to do that creative problem solving. Um, so if design is creative problem solving, 
belonging is this incredibly important human need. It's actually a feeling. So in the book, I really talk about reminding ourselves that belonging is the feeling that we're going for when we do our work to change culture at school, when we do our work to focus on equity, what we're going for is that all children and adults, but everyone in a given community has the opportunity to be fully themselves. Belonging is that state of getting to express you, your multiple identities. Um, and we know that we need belonging in order to learn. We need belonging in order to do good work. Um, it's a fundamental human need um, and it's a feeling. So you can't design it directly. It comes from the hearts and minds of people, but we can design all kinds of things to help belonging emerge. I love that. And I'm really glad you you brought up the word it. And I've 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 heard you say that in some previous podcasts. And so I wanna I want I want to go there a little bit because I think sometimes and to no fault of some people, it's just the, the pressures and all the things going on. Oftentimes, I mean, right now, big also in education, K-12 is social emotional learning, which is which is really important. But in the moment of panic, whether that's due to just not understanding it or things like that, we sometimes tend to these like cookie cutter practices like, oh, right now we are all going to be doing this and this is going to check the box of what we've done. And I really like that idea of it because it's not a thing, right? It's not uh, we go through and yes, I can stamp that I've I've done the deed and now all of a sudden I've designed for belonging. You talk about that feeling and emotion. And so as we think about that, then maybe it's through, through the lens of spaces, uh, whether that's physical space or mental space or emotional space. How do we start to to think about that versus like, oh, I, you know, I'm gonna buy buy this and I'm gonna, we're all gonna do, you know, lesson one on on responsibility, which it's not always bad, but it's not. But this what we're talking about is not an it. And I think there's sometimes a friction in understanding how we create intentionally for that. So a couple of things to think about. One is I did write this book and started working with the concept of belonging in part because I was working with educators who, when we started talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, they would kind of go to a technical place or as part of what you're describing, uh, well, that's the thing that we do on third Thursdays. Yeah, right. Well, if you're going to build greater equity in your school community, it's actually every day, every minute, you're always building culture, whether you're having a meeting about it or not. Culture is what comes out of being together and working together. So when we take that lens, I wanted to introduce the notion of belonging as really the feeling that we're going for. And I found that it helped people to focus on the feeling because then you and I can think about times or places where we've felt belonging and times and places where we hadn't. And then we can also think about, wow, there might be students in my classroom, students in my school building that rarely get to feel that sense of belonging because of identities because of different kinds of oppression that exists in our system and our culture at large. And so if we know that's the feeling that we're going for, then we can be a little analytical and say, wow, some kids really get to feel that. How are we gonna support their belonging? And then as you point out, what I do on the design side is then open up, what are all the different kinds of things we can design or try designing and see, do they actually help? 
those students furthest from opportunity to feel a greater sense of belonging? Or did we inadvertently create more of a mess? Mm -hmm. um, and the design mind says, we're gonna create messes. We're gonna create new, every time you try creating something new or making change, you are likely to create some kind of mess. And you're looking to see, right, what, what's working and what's not. Cause there are gonna be things that work and things that don't. And your design mind is trying to tune to what what did I try? What worked? What didn't? Okay, now what's my next version? I tried this meeting, inviting people in this particular way by email, and these were the particular parents that came. Oh, I was actually trying to get to a different set of parents. Maybe for the next meeting, I'm going to stand in front of the school and actually speak to people, and that's going to be my invitation. Oh, well, then I got these other group of parents. Interesting. If I'm trying to bring them all together, maybe I need to do both. Or maybe I need to, you know, dress up in a costume and go visit people's homes. I don't know. That's where your creativity comes into play. But you're trying something and seeing what does it bring forward? And is that creating more belonging or less? And for whom? And so your analytical kind of thinking can come in there, but you're, you don't want it to block your creative thinking of like, what are all the things that I could try to develop a greater sense of belonging? Yeah, I love that. And as you, I like that example that you just walked us through because I think sometimes it feels like it has to be something huge, right? Like we're going to redesign an entire system. It's not that. It's, I mean, there's these these subtle nudges, right? We're we're gonna, we're going to fine tune one variable, like you said, from an email to standing out front, and and you know, obviously, anything we do requires time. I'm not saying all this stuff is easy, but I think I'm so glad you brought that up because it doesn't have to be like a recalibration of everything it's what's our goal and taking these small little measures you know kind of breaking the problem down into smaller tasks and so um perfect example because i know sometimes it can feel like oh my gosh well and it's it's worth it to remember too that uh our experience of belonging actually comes to us via subtle cues mm. right it's small things in the environment it's walking into a space and seeing pictures and stories of people that look like me and not just one group of people. That's a subtle clue that we pick up on, right? Our psychology is an amazingly tuned, you know, machine to pick up these cues and question, do I belong or not? That's what we're doing. And we're doing that all the time. And so making subtle shifts isn't about being superficial. It's actually about sending new cues. Mm, I like, yes, I like, I love that. And so like, as, as you're saying that, sending new cues, that just really kind of like resonated with me. I'm thinking about, in this case, well, two lens. I'm looking at it from, thinking about it from like an administrator or leader of a building trying to create the sense of belonging for, for staff. Um, and I'm also thinking about it from like the classroom educator or wherever the educator role might be um, with students. and. A lot of this would be, you know, maybe kind of more dependent on on what it is they're trying to go after. But in the general sense of belonging, what would be some things like to look for? Because here, here's where I'm trying to go with this. I I have a I doubt too many educators or leaders are going. I am intentionally not creating spaces for belonging. I'm doing that. It's what I do. Look at all the things I've done, and all those things, awesome. But if we want to look at how can we be better with that? How do we improve? Because maybe we haven't created all the conditions for all the people to at least have the opportunity to feel that they belong. 
what are some things to look at? And because the the second part to that I'm I'm thinking about is that student or that educator or that employee that doesn't feel belonging, a sense of belonging, isn't probably going to open up and say, I'm not feeling like I belong because th that culture isn't there for them. So I just gave you a bunch of rabbit holes to go down. I'll let you tackle where that is. Sorry, that's just my early morning coffee brain. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested in that. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I'm happy to jump in there. One of the things that I, I like to do and this comes from using design tools to enter into this conversation with belonging is to use some different kinds of tools to help people tell stories of when and where they belong and not. So one of the tools I use in the book is an emotional journey map. And so that's simply you're thinking about your X axis is time. So let's say beginning of school year to now. Um, so that's your x-axis. And then your y-axis is high belonging to low belonging. And you're asking folks, it might be you're doing this at a staff meeting and everybody's doing their highs and lows, and maybe they're talking to each other about it. Maybe you're doing it in a classroom and hearing from students. But I think using a tool like that where you can talk about both highs and lows um, becomes quite approachable. It's also a situation where people are only going to share what they're able to share. Um, so you can use it actually with, you know, parents um, that are really, really very educated and parents that might be less educated. It becomes a very approachable tool. And the point is not that you're like then doing some statistical analysis with these maps, but they're actually seeking stories in human centered design. And in liberatory design, we're really trying to get the human signals of what's happening in our systems. And so we wanna hear those stories. Another thing that I like to do is mapping your city or your town or your school building. So thinking kind of geographically, physically, where are some spots where you feel belonging and not? And hearing some of those stories. Mm. I was talking with a school leader recently who was doing work with a teacher, um, I think like middle grades, let's say it was a fifth grade classroom. And they asked all the students to map the places in the classroom where they felt belonging and not. And that was really interesting. They noticed some gendered patterns is that the boys, the whiteboards, right? The kind of public spaces to display your ideas. They really felt like the whiteboards were a place of belonging wow. and the girls didn't as much. So that was really interesting data. And it wasn't that you were just, you know, it was, it didn't feel like an interrogation at all, but it was right. The kids were just mapping the places in their classroom and these interesting patterns popped up to dig into. And that cued that leader and that classroom teacher to think about, well, what are, what are new ways that we can invite all children to participate in sharing their work in public forums? Do they, right? They could add more boards. So there was room for everyone. They could have particular ways that you got to go share your work. You know, you could use um, the equity stick notion where you're just pulling names, but Anyway, there was, there was a lot that you could do just from that kind of quick insight based on the mapping. You saw something that actually ultimately really matters because if you're never sharing your work in a public way, that sets in place all kinds of other patterns, of course. Yeah, I love that. And that's, you know, I think kudos to the work that you've done in your, in your book as well is it's not just defining and talking about design for belonging, but you provide lots of practical 
tools and protocols and things to use along with lots of questions, you know, for the, for the reader to debrief and think through. And I know that that journey of mapping is one of those that um, I know is really, I, I really like. And, and, and that's my approach. Like this is, let's just say it out loud. This is not like the deepest scholarly book. It's not a scholarly book. It's really a toolkit book with lots of questions. And I invite educators when they pick it up to you know, to, to browse it and just like pick a page, try an exercise, try an exercise with a buddy, propose an exercise at your next staff meeting. Like try to use it in kind of light and engaging ways so that you're just starting to talk about belonging in lots of different places. I think that's actually uh, can send a powerful message that is something that you're that you're working on and that you're trying to tune the school culture towards. Yeah. If you want a scholarly book, I want to um, shout out Jeff Cohen, who's at the Graduate School of Education at Stanford, has a new book out on belonging that just came out this past month. Um, and it's really great. We can get that title in the in your show notes too. Yeah, yeah, that would it, be it, it touches into more of the learning sciences research behind belonging. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be excellent. And so I think it gives again, that little bit of that choice, right, for belonging of where you want to dive in and, and bounce back and forth and, and use whatever you need when you need it, which is which is great. And that's that's one of my ways that I like to think about design. For me, design is about pulling in uh, inspiration and ideas from lots of different directions. So one of the things I do in the book is I have these host heroes of belonging, some of whom are scholars, um, Camille Farrington, uh, and David Yeager, both are folks that have helped us understand the need for learners to have a sense of belonging in terms of their research in schools. Um, and I also include people like Brene Brown, who kind of popularized the notion of belonging, or Laverne Cox, who's a trans actor and activist. Um, and it's really interesting to think about who in your own world you know, any listener or educators, who are the folks that you think really help support belonging and 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 lift them and their stories up and mine to understand, well, what does that teacher do in our school where there is such a strong sense of belonging in that classroom? You know, what what is she or he doing that's helping that to come forward? Because often looking for bright spots, you know, in our own environments can be a really powerful way to build belonging because you're shining a light on somebody, but also when we pick up on bright spots, they often have some local connections that make them easier to spread than the random practice you pull down from the internet. Yeah. And I think that's so crucial, especially in, in education right now. Well, I guess it's probably true for, for any sector of, of, of life, like that more of that mindset on asset base versus deficit base. Where are those bright spots? And let's look at those and build upon those areas and share those gifts out versus always focusing on what isn't or isn't good enough or what's missing or the gaps. And yeah, that stuff's important, but sometimes I feel like we spend so much time over there versus like, let's, let's grow where we're rocking and let's, let's build some positivity and momentum, which would feed into this idea of belonging. Right. So when we do have to have tough conversations, it's a little bit easier to do because we feel like we're part of something. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, I like that idea of that, of that bright spot. And um, even as you're talking about that, another part of your book that popped up that I thought was, was fascinating was the concept of participation. And we know for, to, to belong, we are more willing to engage in the work and, and participate. And 
one of the questions that was permeating through my brain through that is the idea of a better understanding of participation that maybe isn't always defined by like the extrovert styles. So in schools and in classrooms or in meetings, and, you know, I think about what it looks like to be an active participant. And so many times it's, you know, it's the loud, uh, it's your voice being heard, things like that. But sometimes there's those people that are processing very deeply that maybe aren't loud. Um, so I was curious just on, on your idea on, on participation, like what are ways that we could, I'm going to say rethink participation that goes beyond maybe some of the, like the, the obvious like extrovert signals? Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. I think in this moment too, as uh, there's a little bit more focus on neurodiversity and we're thinking about how everyone's brain works different that's intersecting with this moment of recognizing that everything doesn't have to be extroverted in order to, you know, to count. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we've grappled with at the D school, the initial style of the D school at Stanford in terms of creativity was standing up, shouting out ideas, brainstorming in a particular way. And over time, we've started to recognize the need to build in lots of different ways to participate. So how do you start a brainstorm, you know, just super concretely with some reflection time for everyone to quietly on their own generate a few ideas? Even better, can you give the prompt the day before so that people that need longer processing time have a ability to process, you know, in the way they want to ahead of time and then bring ideas to a meeting. And then can you open up the way that those get shared? I think it's, I think it's a really interesting kind of, there's like a interesting Venn diagram around neurodiversity, creativity, and belonging practices that we benefit, all of them benefit from using a wider diversity of ways to communicate so that people with different kinds of processing, different kinds of creativity, different kinds of brilliance can share. And I'd say that that, so don't have like the answer, but right. I wanna recognize that this is a really, is a place to be conscious. The other thing that I'm trying to do in this book when talking about design is just reminding us that everything is designed, whether or not we've consciously attended to it, if we walk into a room and we just sit down in the chairs that are already there, right? And we just use the tools that are already there, that's the design of our meeting. Mm. But if we walk into a room and say, wow, what's the energy we want? How do we wanna participate? We wanna have some sitting for reflection and then we wanna stand up for sharing ideas. That's then using design to say, what's the experience that I'm trying to create? How am I going to be supportive of the range of thinkers and doers in my environment? So the work of design is to recognize that you're always in some design, but consciously tuning your mind and tuning the situation to be supportive of belonging really matters. And sometimes that's about thinking about who's going to be at a meeting, right? Do we actually need translation at this meeting for these um, recent immigrant parents to be able to participate? that's gonna be an important lever to pull. Obviously every meeting isn't gonna need that depending on where you are and who you're working with, but that consciousness of who's gonna be there, 
what are we trying to do together? And then what's our how of how are we going to collaborate? Attending to those three questions sets you up then to design a meeting, a gathering, an experience together where you're oriented towards getting everyone to be able to participate. Remembering too that you can play with time. Like what do you do that's synchronous versus asynchronous, right? We've learned a lot about that in the pandemic. We've learned a lot about that with our different technologies. And, and so the I think the work of design for belonging is to be tuning towards how are we using all these tools to create situations where more people are able to feel more belonging more of the time. I really love that. And I feel like I say that after every time you talk, but I really do love all that you're sharing because I think it's that idea of experience and not in this case, in my brain, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking like a meeting for a sake of a meeting. And it reminded me of just a, a recent statewide work that we do where we've never been together in the statewide work um, just due to COVID. We were finally able to come face to face. And there was so much intention behind with our small amount of time that we actually have together that we've never been able to do. What are the things that we need to make sure we're prioritizing that we can do face to face that we don't want to get caught up doing stuff that we could do asynchronously or, you know, in a Zoom call. And so that very intentional face to face and that experience, anyway, as you're talking about, um, just ensuring that we have the modalities in place to have a, a fruitful dialogue or meeting or whatever the, you know, the, the task might be. And it kind of segues into another word that stood out to me as well was the word contribution. And in my brain, my initial thoughts when I was reading through the work and then going through the book again was like, well, participation and contribution are, are one and the same. And I just, I feel like I've had my own kind of reworking of that. And so as, as you've talked, you talk about contribution in the book, you talk about, you talk about a lot of great things, you know, as people are trying to wrap their head around that too, um, they run in parallel. I mean, you can, if you're active and participating, you're probably contributing. Um, but what are some other things in terms of around that idea of contribution that, you know, stand out that we can think about that might be different or maybe in lieu of like participation? Yeah, thank you. I, um, contribution was interesting to me. So part of what you're referencing is I call these moments of belonging and the orientation or is towards thinking about experience design and focusing on particular kinds of moments. And I did this book by prototyping in real life. Um, hopefully that doesn't totally surprise you, but I was doing <laughs> workshops and sharing tools with people and trying to understand what people are relating to and not. And I spent a week, and this was right before pandemic shutdowns, um, I spent a week at the University of Texas in Austin, um, and it was a really interesting week, and I had these initial tools, and I started to realize that the stories that people were telling me about their times of belonging were when they made an explicit contribution. It could have been as small as something they said in a meeting and how they saw it shift what was happening you know, in the conversation, or it was showing up and bringing food to something and that kind of a contribution. So I was just, I was just noticing and I didn't have contribution on my map. And so in that way, it ended up feeling like it was something just more specific than participation tied to a 
a kind of a deeper feeling of having really done something beyond participating, but contributing. And I, I reference in that book, one of the other host heroes is a facilitator and thinker named Peter Block. And he talks about, um, he, he, his framework lays out multiple parts of belonging, but in particular that the giving of gifts and not literally like a present, you know, with a bow on it, but our gifts that we get to share as humans. And so if participating is getting to be in the room, in the game, you're there, contribution is actually sharing your own light. Again, back to this assets. What are the assets that you're bringing in? And that might be something really concrete, like a tool that you actually have to use. It might be relational. When I thought about it for me, I had an experience of, I'm a real like, uh, network connector. And so I love to be like, oh, well, you should talk to so-and-so. Um, and so having experiences of like putting people together that didn't know about each other, and then they end up working together. That is for me, one of my gifts. And I think of it as a contribution that helps me to belong. I don't then, I'm not an ongoing participant in that work necessarily, but I know I've made a contribution because of that little bit of matchmaking that I've done. So that's that's part of how I think about it. I also think about it in school contexts. We tend to, particularly when we're working with families and parents and caregivers, we often have, I think, overly narrow views of what contribution is, mm. right? The classic versions of like, come to a PTA meeting or give money or, right? There, there are a few classics. Yep. And obviously they're classic for reasons. So we don't, we, you know, we'll just, but let's just set those aside for right now. Right. I think there's so many other ways that family members can contribute. They can contribute as learners, right? They can contribute as teachers. They can contribute sharing whatever their own gifts are that help support the, a school community. So I think that's a really powerful thing to, to for communities to kind of open up and think about what really are all the assets in our community and how can we really bring them into focus? Because we know that if I feel like I've contributed, I then feel like I belong. And if I feel like I belong as a parent or caregiver, I'm able to send those cues to my child that they can belong as a learner mm -hmm. in that school environment. I love that. And as you're talking about Peter's work and, and the sharing of gifts, I think sometimes something that is not sometimes it is just as vitally important is the receiving of the gifts and sometimes leaving our, our ego or other things that can sometimes be a potential blocker where it's not a one-up it's just like you said, we're contributing. And I think sometimes it's, it's hard. I, I see this more with adults than, than, than students, but you know, oh, look at them show off. Oh, look at them, you know, and you kind of get this weird thing, whether that's just through lack of confidence or or maybe it's just the belonging isn't there of the culture to begin with. But that just taking it in is just as vitally important as sharing, you know, yeah. and that kind of layers in with the other idea that he's got. In, and I think he's got like six elements um, to his work, but the other one is on dissent. And when I was reading that part of the book too, I was thinking through like all the different groups that I'm part of, whether that's professionally or personally, or, you know, wherever they all are. And just thinking through those, those layers and, you know, the ones that really stood out 
that of being the most impactful allow for that 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 critical uh conversation right that dissent where we can have a sharing of ideas that maybe don't see eye to eye but it, there's not a personal judgment it's not a like i'm gonna walk out and all of a sudden i don't like susie anymore because we see something differently but we're able to engage in, in in fruitful conversation and dialogue and maybe still not agree but we're getting a better understanding of perspective um and yeah. i think that's a piece that that gets i don't want to say lost in the mix because i think it, it rises to the surface faster than any of the other elements because of the i think the emotion that comes with it but working through that sense of belonging where we could have difference of uh, ideas and that's okay yeah well with dissent you know i really wanted to kind of raise that as a notion and and almost because i'm I think of it as almost a measure of belonging. You're not going to offer a differing opinion or critical feedback um, if you don't feel like you belong. Um, because you right, you're likely to just like walk away, um, you know, metaphorically. And so I think it's I think it's really interesting to think about it. And we have lots of cultural contexts where we're kind of conflict averse. Um, and I, I know I was raised quite conflict averse. And so I think building in explicit tools where we lift up, actually, we want to, we want to practice with that. We want to know, can somebody offer a counter argument? Can, does somebody want to share a differing opinion? Who's not at the table right now? And what might they offer as a differing opinion? There are lots of ways I think to get at it. Um, and then linked, of course, um, and another really important moment of belonging is repair. Because mm. uh, as we do community building work, as we work across difference, um, as we work to reduce different kinds of systems of oppression that exist, we have to be able to say, wow, that hurts. Um, what can we do to repair? Um, and you know, there should be, could be all kinds of books just written about, just about repair. Right. So I, you know, I didn't get the liberty to do that. Uh, but it, so just again, kind of lifting it up, but remembering locally, we have to have ways that we're going to do that. And, and ideally we, we plan for that in advance. We plan for dissent. We plan for repair as much as we plan for the beautifully inclusive invitation. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. And then the last moment that I throw out in the book is the notion of diverging and exiting, remembering that how we let people go is an important part of a community. Um, and that, you know, that can happen in all kinds of different ways. And it's like natural and to be expected and therefore we can design for it. I like that. And I think that's, yeah, that whole idea on the exit, you know, could be a whole, whole nother conversation and book almost kind of like repair. So maybe you've got your own series lined up there, you know? And so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I think really, really important as I was, I mean, the idea of exit, and I even think too, just in the generals, even it's not exactly the same as exit, but even just building in time for just reflection. And so many times we rush through that, especially in the landscape of school day where you're pressed for time and all those things, but that's really that, that it's a crucial element that sometimes can just be quickly like, Oh, quick transition. And then, <laughs> 
it just, yeah. oh, you know, and it's it just, how do we build yeah. again, and it's design crazy for it? We do that in learning environments too, because we know the reflection is actually like the secret sauce of learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you do the thing and reflect on it. And that's what actually creates real learning. Um, so both that belonging and reflection are so like they're, they're, uh, here's another essay we should write, but the relationship of belonging and reflection, I think, is really interesting because they're both so critical for learning. Yeah. So I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, just because I know you are so busy and I could, could just talk your ear off on this, but I am like on maybe outside of the book curiosity in terms of uh, the work that you do and all the awesome people you get to work with. And I'm holding this book up. I mean, you know, this book, but for those that can't see it, listening in, like this design for a belonging book that, that you have crafted is, is so phenomenal. Um, and the series itself is phenomenal. There's so many great books. And at the time of this recording, I think three just came out last week or just the other day. That's right. That's going right. Through yeah. those. And so I'm just curious and I don't know the back ends of the operations, but what have been some of the ahas? I mean, have you guys had time to to talk and connect? Maybe not all together. I don't know how that works, but like each of these elements are, are elements of the books are so powerful. Um, and I just feel like there's also this kind of bigger through line of story. So I'm just curious from all of you awesome people, what's 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 been going on or new ahas are learning for you guys as, as the books come out to the world? Yeah, well, that's a that's a really great question. And I will say, sadly, given what we were just talking about, I feel like we haven't quite had enough reflection on that yet. Sure. Um, just getting our hands on that the second set. And there are three more to come. So these right. designer guides, there it's a 10, yeah, originally envisioned as a 10-part series. So um, so the, there will be more to come. I love playing with like what are different through lines among the books and really wanting to think about too what are experiences mm -hmm. that we could create where we get to like play in the mashup between the books. Yeah. Um, and we haven't we haven't done that yet. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I saw somebody yesterday was stacking up the spines of the book because they all have different colors, like in rainbow order. Right. <laughs> like, okay. And then within each book, it's such a treasure trove. So like wanting to design experiences, for instance, to bring all the host heroes of design for belonging together, mm. um, I think would be, would be really fun. So I, I think it's like to be designed what the next level of mashups are. Sure. Um, and just excited for the moment to kind of see how people in the world are are reckoning with them and playing with the with the connections. I think is really is really yeah. fun. Yeah, I'm sure as they come out, you guys are probably drinking from the fire hose, and so there probably just hasn't been enough time to even process your own work, let alone the work of everybody. And they're coming out, and yeah, it's it's funny as I was, as I mean, I've gone through your book a couple times and I was reading, I just finished the, um, the prototype book and I was going uh -huh. through that and, and I mean, I've read, well, I've got one, one left that came out last week, but as I'm reading, it reminds me a lot like, um, like, like digital Lego bricks in my mind. So as I'm reading the prototype book, like I had a stop and pause, I had like an aha moment and I went back and that's, I mean, what I love about these books, the way they're designed with the images and, and, you know, there's not like a super like, 
like you said earlier, like an in-depth read, like they're designed to be used and purpose that way. Like I went from there and I went right back to your book and I was like, oh, I see a connection. And, you know, as I'm thinking about my next class lesson that we're going to prototype, like, oh, I got it. We need to do something with belonging before we get the kids comfortable to share, to be vulnerable, to share an idea. And then, boy, that moved into something that I, as I was reading uh, this morning with the creative hustle. And so it was just kind of like you said, that mismatch. It's like, how do you like piece the Lego bricks together, the, the bricks being like the books, right? To design whatever you're, you're after. And so, um, yeah. It's, it's I love that. Thank wonderful. you for sharing that reflection. That's really fun. Yeah. yeah that's, great. that's great. Well, Susie, this has been so good. And I can't wait for other people uh, who haven't read this book to get a hold of it and read it and check out and, and follow the work that you do. And so obviously we'll put all this stuff in the show notes, but if there's any last thoughts that you want to get across that we didn't get a chance to cover, um, I would love for you to share that. And then as well, if people want to learn more about you and follow your work, um, you know, for those that are listening, where, where can they go to do all that, all that awesome stuff? Excellent. That's so great. Um, so I'll say, first of all, just like, as you're thinking about it, just start with yourself. Think about in your day, where are you feeling belonging and not, and what do you make of that? Um, because I think from a design perspective, it's important to just start to notice. Mm -hmm. And then if you find that motivating, Talk to somebody else. Maybe it's a colleague that you do some lesson planning with. Ask them about where they feel belonging and not. And just start to do the noticing and feeling into the belonging. Um, that will put you on a good kind of path to imagine then where do you want to work on it and pick up some of those tools of design to get scrappy and get trying things because it's by trying things and reflecting that you continue to learn. Um, and so that to me is like, is the path to design for belonging. I love it. Um, and then if you want more stuff, more info, um, I have a website called designforbelonging.com. Check it out. There are lots of other resources there um, and you can connect to me there and on the twitter it's at Susie wise one word um and instagram is Susie b wise so happy to he hear from folks wherever um makes sense awesome well i appreciate it so much we'll get those links in the show notes as well as the link to the book and all that good stuff Susie, this has been so wonderful i so appreciate your time and it truly is an honor to be able to uh sit here face-to-face -face virtually with you and have this conversation. It, it truly is um, a precious moment in my, in my career. So thank you so much for uh, carving out some time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks for all the good work that you do. Thank you. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation, living on the edge of chaos, going insane, listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring, one of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born, here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos.